0: We're continuing a sermon series we began last week called Multiply, Disciples Making Disciples. We want to find what it is that God says our purpose, those of us who are believers in Jesus, what's our purpose here on earth? That's what we're looking at. And so if you have a Bible with you, uh, please open it to the book of Acts. If you don't have a Bible with you, you feel free to borrow one. There's some in these black chair pockets um, behind the the chairs and in the ends of the side aisles. Uh, Feel free to borrow that. If you don't own a Bible, please feel free to keep that one. Um, So the New Testament of the Bible, towards the back, begins with four Gospels, four accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the fifth book is Acts. Acts is where we're turning. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. If you're using uh, one of these black Bibles we provided, that's page 785, and if you have one of the gold paperback Bibles, that's page 534. Um, So we started this series last week. We looked at uh, a a very famous passage um, at the end of Matthew's Gospel called, what Christians often call the Great Commission, where uh, Jesus gives this call to all of his followers to help other people follow him as well. That his call to disciples is to make disciples, help other people know him and trust him and follow him. Um, and so we, we imagined last week that there was like a number line up here. If you were here, you remember this. You just imagine a number line, kind of eye level for me, from negative 10 to 10, and we said, down at negative 10 is people as far away from God as they could be. Their, their heart is hard towards him. They have no interest in him. They, they, do, they do not want to hear what you have to say about him. 10 is the most mature Christian you've ever known. And what it means to make disciples is just to offer yourself to God, to be used by him, to help people move along the line, to take a step from having no interest to maybe being willing to open the Bible with somebody, or a step from maybe having no no way to serve with your gifts, to finding a place to serve and grow like that. It's just helping people move along as God uses you. And one way we help people along that line is called evangelism. It means telling good news. We tell people who don't know Jesus about Jesus, the good news about him. And this passage is one of the most beautiful pictures of evangelism in the whole Bible. And so uh, please follow along with me as I read from Acts chapter 8 beginning in verse 26. And this should be on the screen behind me as well. This is what God says. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, "'About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, "'about himself or about someone else?' Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, "'See, here is water.' Lord, this this book is, is you speaking to us. And so we don't want to approach it casually. We don't want to come flippantly. Um, we don't want to come with only half a heart or half a mind. We want to be engaged by you. We want to offer ourselves to you. We want to hear from you. And so I pray very simply that, that in this time that you would speak, that we would hear from you and that your word would have its powerful way in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the the first time I went out with the express purpose of telling somebody the good news about Jesus, of doing evangelism, I was a sophomore in college. So I had had begun following Jesus as a freshman in college, um, and beginning my sophomore year, uh, an upperclassman pulled me aside and said, I I would love to spend more time with you. Would you like to just get together every week and let's just... We'll read the Bible and we'll talk about it and we'll apply it to our lives. We'll pray for each other. And I said, great. So we've been doing that for a while. And one day I went to meet him and he said, today we're not gonna do that. Today we're gonna do some evangelism. And it was good that he sprung it on me because if he had told me ahead of time, I'm sure I would have had a test to study for. I would have been sick, but I had no choice. I was there. He could see that I was fine. And so he said, what we're gonna do is this, somebody who lives in your dorm filled out this survey and with our campus ministry and said that they'd be interested in hearing more about Jesus. And we're just gonna call him see if he's in his room, have him meet us in the student lounge, and we're just going to tell him about Jesus. And I said, I think you better do that. And so he, he was the one who called. He brought him down, and he sat, we just sat at a table together, and he just walked him through the good news about Jesus. And I said nothing, right? I, I wanted to just, like, drop through the floor. I thought, this is the student lounge. Everyone's going to see me doing this. What are we doing here? But he walked him through it, and the end of it he said, well, now, you know, what do you think? Do you, do you believe this? Do you trust in Jesus? And the guy said, no. And he said, okay, can we pray for you? And he said, fine. And we prayed for him and it was over. And now I can't, I can, I cannot say that at the end of that, my fear was gone. And, and for for sure, like if anyone else was in that room, they wouldn't have looked over and said, now that, that kid at that table over there saying nothing and looking like he wants to be a million miles away, he should be a pastor. He should do this full time. I think that would be a really great calling for him. But, but what did happen was that I, I had seen it done and I thought, okay, I I think I could do that. I think I could do that. It it helps to have an example. And this passage is in your Bible for that reason. It's an example. uh, It it shows us that evangelism is something ordinary people can do. You don't have to stand up in front of groups of people. You don't have to go shout in in Piccadilly Circus. It's something that ordinary people can do just one-to-one with people that they care about. And it's here to give us an example of that. So we want to learn three elements of evangelism From this story about Philip, three aspects that God emphasizes here. Obedience, providence, and proclamation. So first, evangelism starts with courageous obedience. Look again at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. So this this amazing story starts with a very simple command. The angel says to him, rise and go. The angel didn't tell Philip what he would do when he got there. He didn't tell him what was going to happen. He didn't say, now, Philip, you have a really important opportunity today. You could do something today that would be so important, you would get in the Bible. He didn't didn't tell him that. He just said, rise and go. And there were so many reasons for Philip to resist. So if you know the kind of the story of Acts, you know that Philip is not in ideal life circumstances, okay? Philip is from Jerusalem. He's part of the church there. And there was this great persecution that arose in Jerusalem. If you look, um, don't, you don't have to turn there, just listen to Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So what happened was, um, there was this guy, Stephen, and he was doing these great works. He was preaching the gospel. It was really controversial. He got into confrontation with the Jewish leaders, and they stoned him. And then they they were so infuriated, they went after the whole church, and the leader of that was a guy named Saul, who later becomes Paul, the apostle of the Gentiles, but this is before he's a Christian, and there's this great persecution, and it just drives the church, it just scatters them from Jerusalem, and Philip is one of these guys. So Philip is not an apostle, Philip is a refugee, he's been displaced from his home, and he could easily have said to the angel, you know, now is not really a good time for me to go, I... I have a lot on right now. I think maybe I need a little me time. Could we maybe reschedule this? But he doesn't. Or he could have said, you know, I, I've been kind of I've been in Samaria for a while now. Things are going well here. I'm preaching the gospel. People are listening. They're believing what I'm saying here. I think maybe, I think maybe, you know, what's important is that I do good work wherever I am. I think maybe I'm gonna stay here where it's not a desert place. But He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, well, you know, it seems a little dicey down there. I'm I'm pretty sensitive to dehydration, robbers as well. I think think maybe I'm just going to pass on this one. But he didn't. The angel said, rise and go. And what did Philip do? Look at verse 27. And he rose and went. And on the road, as he went, he saw a chariot. And so, verse 29, and the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him. He obeyed God's word when it came through an angel, and he obeyed God's word when it came through the Spirit. And maybe you feel like like you'd obey too if an angel came and told you what to do. You'd feel like, well, that would, that would be a situation where I really couldn't say no. But God doesn't only direct us by angels and by his Spirit. We see that here too. So the, so the angel specifically told him, go to the road that leads to Gaza. And then the Spirit specifically told him, Go up to this chariot. But God didn't specifically tell him to share the gospel with this guy. That one he just figured out on his own. He figured, well, I know that what Jesus wants is for his followers to help other people follow him. He wants disciples from all the nations. So if God has sent me to this road, and now I've been brought up into this chariot with someone reading Isaiah the prophet and asking me, who is this about? I think probably the reason I'm here is because God wants me to tell him about Jesus. But it, he just put two and two together. He didn't need specific directions when he already knew God's general directions. So here's how you can know if you are going to be ready to obey when God gives specific directions. It's are you already obeying his general directions? Are you studying this book and applying it to your life, seeking to be obedient to Jesus and ready to go whenever he says go? Now, nothing, nothing that follows in this story would have happened if, if Philip hadn't started with obedience, if Philip hadn't obeyed when God says go, that's where evangelism starts. And obedience takes courage, right? God sent Philip to share the gospel with someone who was very different from him, right? This guy, was in, he was an Ethiopian. He was an African. He wasn't from the area. So he was from a different continent, a different culture. He was a different eth- ethnicity. He spoke a different language. And Philip could have thought, I don't, I don't really know how to relate to this person, uh, may, maybe it would be better for me, I'll just stick with people who are like me, people I know how to relate to, and, and I'll just hope that, I'll pray, I'll pray that an African reaches this African. It took courage for him to cross cultures, and this person was from a very different social class. So if you look at verse 27, Luke tells us that he was a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He was the finance minister of Ethiopia. He was, the, he was the chancellor of the exchequer. He was a big deal. And Philip could have been intimidated by that. He could have thought, this guy doesn't need Jesus. He's got a great job. He's wealthy. I can see he's got money. He's got a chariot. He's got his own copy of the Bible, which was super rare in those days. He's powerful. And maybe you think that sometimes. Maybe you see people, they don't know Jesus, and they seem to have a great life. And you think, they're not going to be open to this. They're going to laugh in my face. And another thing that was different about this guy, he was, he was highly committed to a different religion, right? He took a chariot, which was probably like a carriage, kind of an oxen-drawn carriage, all the way from the kingdom of Ethiopia, which was uh, like, at the time, northern Sudan, southern Egypt, all the way from there to Jerusalem. That's like months in a carriage. He went months in a carriage all the way to Jerusalem just to worship, and then months in the carriage all the way back. I mean, this, he was a very religious person. And we do that sometimes. We think, we think sometimes, well, this person, I would really love to see them trust Jesus, but they're so committed to what they believe. They're so, they're so committed to Islam or Mormonism or Buddhism. They're just not going to be open to this. There were so many reasons for Philip not to open his mouth, but he took courage and he took a chance. Opportunities to tell people about Jesus, they happen along the road of obedience. So, are you walking that road? Are you listening to God's word and to the leading of the Holy Spirit? Are you, and, and are you intending to take the opportunities as God provides them? So, I, I have a friend, he's older than I am. When he was young, when he was like first married, he lived in Bermuda. He's an accountant. And uh, he, he wasn't a Christian, but he had a life that he thought was great. He had a good job. He had a, a devoted wife. Um, he, you know, he lived in an island paradise. He was from you know, the northern U.S., and so he, he had escaped winter. He was loving his life. But his boss asked him to come to church. And even though you wouldn't think he would be the kind of guy who would have any need for that, he didn't even know why he did it, but he went. And he took his wife, and he realized that he was living in rebellion against God. He didn't want God. He didn't want to serve God. He wanted his life to be left alone. And he, he knew he needed to be forgiven and made new. He became a Christian in Bermuda. His wife became a Christian. And when I knew him, he was living in Wisconsin, and he was evangelism pastor. He was, he was giving his life full time to helping people trust in Jesus, all because his boss didn't look at his life and think, this guy's not going to be interested. He looked at his life and said, this guy doesn't need, he doesn't have Jesus, and he needs him. And he just took a step to bring him in. Now, some of you grew up in Cayman, and some of you came here later. And those of you who came here probably didn't come because you specifically wanted to make disciples here. And that's, that's okay. You came because uh, you wanted to have an adventure. You came because you wanted to put away some money. You came maybe because you wanted to escape a, a, a winter in a far northern or far southern clime, and that's fine. But what if the most significant thing that comes out of your time here? is a conversation you have with someone about Jesus, or an invitation to church? What if, what if your whole four years here, the high point, eternally, is one conversation? Are you ready for that? Are you watching for it? It takes courage, and there's something here to help our courage. Evangelism starts with courageous obedience, and secondly, in evangelism, We watch for conspicuous providence. We watch for the opportunities that God gives, for the ways he's already been working. So after Philip obeyed God's call call to go, he found that God had already been working before he even got there. Right? Look at this amazing setup in verse 27. This eunuch had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah and the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Now that that's amazing, right? That's something that Philip could never have orchestrated. He would never have said, I bet if I go into the desert and I wait by the road, someone's gonna come by reading from the fifty-third chapter of Isaiah, the place in the Old Testament that most clearly describes the death of Jesus. And they're going to be looking for someone to ask to help them understand it. That, that would never have happened, right? It was God who put him in the right place at the right time. And one of the truths that the book of Acts is emphatic about is that we don't lead the mission, okay? We, we are not the quarterback. We're not the coach. We're not the general. Jesus leads the mission. So the way the book of Acts begins, Acts chapter 1, verse 1, he says, In the first book, O Theophilus, His first book was the Gospel of Luke. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, until he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So the Gospel of Luke was about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And the book of Acts is about everything Jesus continued to do and teach, not in physical person, but through the church, through the apostles, through his people. It's it's still Jesus running the show. He sees the whole board, he sees the whole field, he sees the whole campaign, and he doesn't usually show us the big picture, okay? So I'm gonna illustrate this, and I'm apologizing in advance because I'm gonna illustrate this with American football. And I know that most of you think rugby is a superior sport. I'm not disputing that, I just don't understand it. And so football is my illustration, okay? So um, in American football, the quarterback calls the play, right? And everyone on the team has a part to play. These guys have to block. And this guy has to fake a handoff and run back here, and the receivers have to run down the field, and they have to cross up the way, and if everyone plays the part they're supposed to play, at just the right moment, this spiraling football will arrive at a point down the field at the exact same moment that a receiver's hands cross that point. He catches it, it's a play, and everybody celebrates, right? You don't need to know what everyone else is doing. You just need to be in your place at the right time. You need to play your part and trust the quarterback to make the play. So Jesus sees the whole field, right? Jesus sees this eunuch leaving Jerusalem, right? And this eunuch has come months in a carriage to worship. And you know what he found when he got there? He couldn't couldn't get into the temple. Because according to Jewish law, eunuchs could not worship in the temple because they were physically marred. He, I mean, a eunuch is a castrated human, okay? Do not have to say that? A eunuch is castrated. He's marred. He can't worship in the temple. So he came months in the carriage, and even when he got there, he's still on the outside. And so maybe in Jerusalem, he picked up this scroll of Isaiah, and he's going home. He's been, in a sense, he's worshiped, but not all the way in. And he's reading Isaiah, and he's trying to understand what this all means. Right? Jesus sees the whole field. And so Jesus makes sure that at just the right moment when he's reading Isaiah 53, he intercepts him on the road with a Christian who understands what that's about, that can come into his chariot and explain it to him. And as they go along the way, it just so happens that right when they're talking about how to respond to the gospel, they're passing water in the desert so that he can get out of the, get out of the chariot and be baptized, right? Jesus is the one Running the plays. Jesus made it all happen. It's not all up to us to, to move people along the line. Only God's Spirit and His Word do that. He just puts us at the right place at the right time, and our part is to be ready. So a few years ago, I traveled to a conference in the States. I traveled by myself, and so I flew in, and I, it was the first time I've ever done a Lyft, L Y F T, it's like an Uber. I got a lift from the airport. i would never done it before. I felt super techie. And so this guy picked me up, and I thought, um, even though like, I'm, a, I'm a massive introvert, I thought, well, I'm going to like a Bible conference. I should probably at least try to talk to this driver and just see if we can get something going here. So I started talking to him, and it turns out he was a Muslim, practicing Muslim, but he's been watching shows on TV on the History Channel about the Bible, super interested in the Bible. And so we had this great conversation from the airport to the hotel about Jesus Um, and I didn't plan that. I couldn't have planned that, but by God's grace, I was ready for his providence. And so the question is, are you ready for God's conspicuous providence? Are you ready for him to open doors just in the course of your daily life that you can then tell someone about Jesus? And do you see how, how this idea of God's providence helps us with courage, because it's one thing to think, okay, God wants me to tell people about Jesus. They're probably going to hate it. They're probably going to be mad at me. But Jesus wants me to do it, so I'm just going to grip my teeth and do it. It's one thing to think that. But God's providence means you don't know where he's already working. You don't know who he's already preparing to receive this good news. Like the eunuch was already prepared. You don't. You don't know who's already feeling, even if you can't see it from the outside, that the world is broken. It's not working. It's not... Their hearts are not the way they're supposed to be, and they're looking for someone who can explain to them why things are the way they are. Are you watching for the open doors and the opportunities that God provides? And do you know that those opportunities can happen on a Sunday morning? Wouldn't it be wonderful if Sunrise was the kind of church when people in our community who begin to feel like they've got major questions about life in the Bible, they wish they had someone to talk to about them, and they could just pitch up here on a Sunday morning And they would know that because they come in and and they're not a familiar face, someone's going to recognize that they're new here and have a chat with them. Maybe sit down with them during the service and let them ask their questions, walk with them through what their questions mean and how Jesus can answer the problems they're having. I I know we meet in a theater, but you are not an audience, right? You are the church. You are disciples who make disciples. So do you come ready for that on Sunday mornings? And maybe you're that person I was describing. You don't, you don't know what you think about Jesus. You're not even sure why you decided to come to church. You have serious questions. And maybe the reason you're here is because God is pursuing you just like he was pursuing this eunuch. I mean, isn't, this, isn't God's love amazing that this guy, he left Jerusalem feeling like, I'm an outsider. I don't belong Nobody, they're not going to let me in. This, this must not be for me. And God loved him so much that on the road, he sent a Christian into the desert to be there at just the right moment, to tell him the good news and help him respond to it. I mean, it says that he went his way rejoicing. Wouldn't you, if you knew that God loved you so much that he sent someone into the desert just to tell you about him? That's how God loves you. And so in order to be faithful in evangelism, we need courageous obedience we watch for conspicuous providence. And finally, evangelism requires clear proclamation. Evangelism is about clearly communicating the good news about Jesus and the right response to him. So look at verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized. So Philip began with the eunuch's question and he moved him towards the good news about Jesus. And that's a good pattern. When you talk to someone about Jesus, don't treat them like a task on your list. Don't treat it like something you just have to get through and then move on to your next thing. Don't just unload truth on them and then move on. Do you guys know what a robocall is? Is that just an American thing? A robocall, your phone rings, it's an unknown number, and as soon as you say hello, it triggers an automatic message about a political candidate you would like to support or an insurance policy that you probably need. Don't do evangelism like a robocall, right? It's not one size fits all. It's not just this automated message that you dispense and then hang up. You listen to people. What are their questions? Is there suffering in their life that they don't understand Why it's happening to them. Is there some teaching of the Bible that really bothers them? Have they had some experience with Christians in the past that really wounded them and made them afraid to trust Christians again? Show them that their questions are good and that Christianity can handle hard questions and scrutiny. Show them that they're important to you, that their questions are important to you. But also help them move from their questions to the good news about Jesus. Show them that the things that concern them, the things that worry them, the things they're not certain about, the only happy ending for those things is in Jesus. And Philip has it almost too easy here. So the eunuch is puzzled by this passage from Isaiah 53, right? Look at, look at verse 33 in our passage. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. So it's, Isaiah's talking about this person who he's, been, he's being treated unjustly. He's being killed, right? His life is taken away. He'd suffer an unjust death. But in verse 32, it says he's not protesting. He's not fighting it. He's not opening his mouth. He's like a lamb being led to the slaughter. So he's, the the guy is saying, who is this person that Isaiah is talking about? He's being killed unjustly and he's not fighting back. He's willingly suffering an unjust death. Who would do that? Who is this? And Luke doesn't tell us how Philip used Isaiah to tell him the good news about Jesus, but he might well have said, well, let's just, let's just roll back a couple verses. Let's just, let's just go back to what you were just reading. Let's look at verse 6 or verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned every one to his own way and the lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all and philip could have said to him look what god says here he says that we have all like sheep gone astray we have all turned away from god's way i know i know you're very religious You've taken this great pilgrimage to Jerusalem, but that can't wipe away your sins. That can't make you whole. You're the queen's treasurer. That can't make you whole. That can't make you clean. But God has done something about your sins. When you were at the temple, he could say, when you were at the temple, did you see animals being sacrificed? Taking the punishment for sin? Well, this passage is saying God has provided a sacrifice, an ultimate sacrifice. It's this person his unjust death was a sacrifice for us. He was smitten by God for our transgressions, for our iniquities. He was innocent, and yet he died so that by his wounds we could be healed. By his, by his chastisement, we could have peace with God. And do you know who this person is? It's God's own son. God loved you so much that he put his son to death so you could be called his child. And he could have said to him, this isn't a fairy tale, Mr. Ethiopian eunuch. The things that Isaiah wrote 700 years ago, these things just happened in Jerusalem where you were. And there's something more, he could have said, if you look a little farther, because Philip would have known that just a little bit further on in Isaiah, he said, Isaiah 56 verse 3 says, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not... The eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house, not on the outside, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. So Philip would have said to him, if you trust in Jesus, you will never be kept on the outside of God's presence again. You will never be excluded. God will bring you all the way into his house and you will belong to him forever. And the eunuch would have responded, That's amazing. What should I do? And so Philip would have said, You don't have to do anything, you trust in Jesus. Believe that this gift is for you and then turn away from the things that you were looking to to give your life meaning and purpose before. Don't find your value in your job anymore. Don't find it in your money. Don't find it in being religious. Find it in Jesus alone. And the way that you show that change is baptism. You go down in the water showing your death to your old life. You come out of the water showing that you're new and he says, here's water. What keeps me from being baptized right now? I want this. That's evangelism. It's telling people the good news about Jesus and encouraging them to respond to it. But let me ask you this. Do you know how to use the Bible to explain the good news about Jesus? When you have an opportunity, are you going to know where to take them? Could you show someone from the Bible a passage that emphasizes that we owe God obedience and worship? A passage like Revelation 4.11. Worthy are you, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, you deserve it, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And could you show them that we've all fallen short of that? From a place like Romans three, verse twenty-three, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Could you point them to what God has done about sin? From a place like Romans five eight, but God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then could you help them respond? by showing them something like Acts 10, verse 43. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That's a really simple outline you could follow. God, sin, Christ, faith. And it'd be great to think through this week for you guys, just in your quiet times, what scriptures would I go to? What would help me explain this amazing news to someone who doesn't know it? Now sometimes you'll get a chance to talk about Jesus with someone you care about and they'll hear you out and they just won't have any more interest and that's okay. You've been faithful but sometimes God will have already been working in their hearts, will be working in their hearts while you speak and they will receive the good news with joy and that's what happened here, right? Look at verse 39. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. You can't argue someone into faith in Jesus. It's God who opens hearts to receive the good news, right? Philip didn't argue him in. Philip told him the good news. God opened his heart to receive it, and he rejoiced. All Philip did was just tell him the good news. Listen, evangelism is obediently telling the Bible's good news about Jesus and trusting God with the response. The good news about Jesus is for the joy of the world. God has laid our sin on his Son, so we can be counted righteous. The gospel brings life. The gospel sets us free, and God wants to use you to bring the joy of that good news to others. This is part of what it means to be disciples making disciples. This is the adventure we're on with Jesus. So let's be praying for open doors to share this good news, and let's be asking for the help of God's Spirit, so when the doors open, we can open our mouths as well. Now let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, well, even before that, we, we give you thanks for what you've done, what you had always planned, what Isaiah told us to expect, that the perfect son, the perfect servant, would be pierced and crushed and wounded so that we could be healed and given peace and made whole in we thank you for that. And we thank you for the way that even now you are leading the mission from heaven. How even now you are working in people's lives in ways we don't see and would never have expected. And you are using us to bring the good news to them. And I pray that you would help us to do that courageously and humbly and lovingly with just no judgment, no argument, but just an eagerness to give good news. I pray that you would, that you'd be working in our hearts to make that happen in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces this week and for the rest of our lives. Fill us with your spirit and help us in Jesus' name. Amen.